Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Coming up, episode 79. It's going to be the AFC preview. Today, we're going to be kicking it off or finishing up our divisional previews for the NFL season. We're excited for the year. We're going to be having our first slate of games, our first week one slate of games tomorrow, recording us on Saturday night, Connor and I. Welcome back to the podcast, buddy. Hey, it's great to be here, man. What's popping, Ben? What's popping? I feel like that was a week intro. The reason why is it's getting late for Connor. And we don't we want to use sleep. excuses. We, we haven't slept all week. We've been is... doing so much analysis that I think we're going to sleep through the games, honestly. like We're going to set our lineups at 12.59 on the East Coast. And then I'm just going to sleep through the rest of the games I'm not even going to watch. <laughs> I feel like my mic volume is also a little bit too high, so I'm turning this down a little oh, from bit. Our, from our live giveaway, of course. <laughs> yeah. For anybody who missed our live giveaway, the, the joke's on you. Fun. We had an excellent giveaway. Connor, man, you gave away a lot of good cards. You gave away the Keenan Allen jersey. You gave away the DJ Chark cleat. Like, everybody like that was involved in the whole thing was just thrilled to be a part of it and it was and it was a select few and they really scored with the stuff that we were able to give them but it was our, our, cool. our boy julian man he cleaned up <laughs> julian dude julian just cleaned oh my out. god he won he got like what like six eight, eight cards eight, eight like eight cards a dj car cleat like oh. yeah he that guy cleaned up Julian, if you're listening, congrats, buddy. You just took yes, advantage sir. of ATA, really. I hope I hope he follows us now. I hope he's like our number one fan because he he really he we, we deserve his loyalty. <laughs> our guy David's back too. Dave, we helped David win a championship last year. He's like back in the DMs week one. He's I like, all right, that. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> help me win again, right? Yeah, and we're we're always here if people want want advice, and we'll we'll respond to messages. We're not That's so great. big. We're That's not great. Matthew Barry and Field Yates. You know, we're we're actually going to respond to you on twitter and facebook and you know we'll help you win your league too yeah all we cost all we cost listeners and followers is time that's all we cost we cost we Mm -hmm. all you got to spend is your time to follow us and we're going to help you win fantasy uh win some money in your gambling like we have a lot to offer we're doing a lot we're spending a lot of time in the analysis and it, it we're a worthwhile follow in my opinion and that being said about time, we're going to try to make this a quicker episode today exactly. and get right to that, right to the hot hits so that when you're listening to this before the NFL games tomorrow, you know, it's, it's a quicker episode and you, you get all the content you need right there. <laughs> exactly. This is going to be a little bit more of a comprehensive video. I mean, podcast. We're going to be uh, covering, like I said, the AFC East, and then we're going to make episode 80, our picks against the spreads, our picks against the lines for each of the week one matchups, as well as our DFS lineups. We're going to try to keep that around 30 minutes a week, release that on the weekends just so that everybody can get their last minute picks in for the uh, for the week. For this one, we're covering the AFC East. Like I said, Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots, New York Jets, and... Um, the uh, dolphins dolphins sorry miami dolphins that was a brain fart there <laughs> but connor quick reactions wanted to get your opinions on thursday night's game we had an excellent kickoff to the nfl season tampa bay buccaneers uh kicked off their super bowl defense season against the dallas cowboys it was a great first game of the year if the rest of the season is anything like that first thursday night game it, it, we're in store for a good one any any um, quick takeaways? Any big picture ideas? Or you were able to um, take away from that Thursday night matchup? 
Yeah, rapid hits. I would say that, you know, Dak looks healthy. I think he's going to break the passing record with the extra game. Already 400 yards in this one. And uh, he was on a 7,000-yard pace based on the uh, gameplay from last year. C.D. Lamb and Amari Cooper are going to be great high-volume options, both in double-digit targets and over 100 yards. You know, two touchdowns for Amari, one touchdown for C.D. So go ahead, wide receiver one in fantasy for both of them uh, on your roster. Top 15 options. Nothing to worry about there. And then I would say that, you know, they don't overreact to Zeke, you know, 33 yards. But this team, uh, the Tampa Bay defense, they only let up two 60-yard rushers last year, one of whom was Dalvin Cook, the other Brian Hill, which is kind of a surprise. But, you know, it's nothing to be concerned about. I would say go trade for Zeke if you can. Um, if, if, if if you're a Zeke owner and you didn't have a trade offer and you're an inbox the next day or <laughs> the next couple of days, I think you're, there's something wrong with your league. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just it's just good managing if you if you shoot out an offer a feeler on Zeke because um, that was clearly probably going to be one of his worst games of the season. Um, and, and you know he uh, he he didn't he didn't play much in the preseason. Mm-hmm. He and like you said, Tampa Bay's defense is tough, so I would not yeah. overreact as well. He was in there on like three quarters of snaps, so there was a little bit of Tony Pollard as a pass catcher, but you know was like was out there plenty or something that I saw. So it, it yeah. was up there. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, just on the Tampa Bay side of the ball, Tom Brady is still the GOAT. He's he's ageless. Uh, he didn't lose a step years. at all. And, you know, I don't see how he doesn't finish as a top 10 quarterback this year with the amount of weapons um, that he has. You know, Gronk contributing 90 yards to. He was not throwing the ball that well in his last season with New England in 2019. His arm looks crazy healthy. It looks, think, it looks good. His knee looks yeah. fine. You know, the offseason surgery there looks like it took well. Yeah. Gronk is I, – I, Gronk is, I feel like, as a as a Patriots fan, a harder loss for me than, than Brady. Just because Brady's like a god. Like, he just walks on air. He walks on water. Like, he, he he's like a mythical being. Like, wherever he goes, he's going <laughs> to be amazing. But, like, Gronk is just so lovable, and it's so hard to see him doing so well with another team because it seemed like his career was just like basic i mean it seemed over because the injuries that he started to slow down like he only had a he only had short bursts in, in him his last couple years in new england and then now it's like he's like vintage gronk again it, it's a it's so painful to watch it's like he's i just i love the guy and it, for him to do so well with another team it's like it, it breaks my heart almost he just reminds me of like a large dog you know <laughs> you, you love him he's got so much energy and he's just bouncing around and happy and goofy it's a big like dopey golden receiver or something you know um but then yeah don't overreact to mike evans you know not highly involved in this one um it was definitely a chris godwin game chris godwin i think is probably gonna be the number one receiver on that team Brown is gonna compete for that as well absolutely i just think that we you know brady's history with the slot just makes godwin just kind of a lock in the most trusted i think evans will probably still lead the team in in touchdowns at the wide receiver position um so don't freak out too much there but yeah antonio brown looks like a great bounce back candidate as well uh, i wouldn't say he's going to be the, the bounce back player of the year that's probably going to be the guy on the field on the other side of the ball uh dak prescott since it's typically a, a, it's a quarterback led league so if dak plays well then i think it'll be his award to win but yeah antonio brown looks like a great value uh for where you got him in your draft really really late Definitely. All right, I was, Connor, gonna, I was kicking myself like, oh, of course Antonio Brown's going to be great this year. Like, I, he was I'm a top, so mad. He was a top three wide my receiver, top three wide receiver for like ten straight years, and then just he took a year and a half off. Of course he's going to be great, and you know, a full off season with Brady. Brady loves him. Brady, 
Brady probably slept with him. I mean, he had him over the house <laughs> and was living. All right, with him. all right, all right, all right. <laughs> we get the picture. We we get the. Point. They were living together. Let's, like, let's holy move crap. on to the AFC's preview here, buddy. That's enough <laughs> on Antonio Brown and, and Tom Brady love fest. All right, let's kick it off with the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills last year they are they were the champions of the AFC East division. They were thirteen and three. Coming into the season, their over-under win total is 11. So they could lose two more or one more game and still cover the over on here. Um, the X factor, really, is just like, so you did it once, great for you. Now do it again, but better. Because, like, Buffalo has their eyes on contending. They have Josh Allen coming off of a breakout season. He's gonna need. He's gonna need to lead. But he's going to need to lead Buffalo to that next, you know, that next step up towards contention. Because this is a Super Bowl dark horse team. Not even a dark horse. They're one of, one, I think, one of the top three or four teams in in odds for the Super Bowl, and uh, they have a legit chance if they if things go right for them. If things break right, they make some improvements, you know, in, in smaller areas here and there. They they could really pull off. Um, a championship uh, type season and, and Connor what are your thoughts kind of just like what's going to hold them back from that this year and, and what's going to be the key to indicating whether or not they have that contending gene in their in their 2021 season yeah right now we have them tied third in our rankings with the Packers um so obviously one of the one of the favorites in the NFL to win the Super Bowl what I think could hold them back is if we see a regression from Josh Allen and his accuracy, something that was quite a a big jump last year. Um, You know, he had two years of a much less accurate passing, but he still has the weapons around him in the passing game. You know, Stefan Diggs is still there, Cole Beasley, and they added Emmanuel Sanders. So I don't really see that likely to happen. The other issue is um, the, the running game scares me. The fact that, uh, it really wasn't in, impactful from from the there. running backs, I should say, because um, we know Josh Allen's yeah. gonna, a good runner himself. But I don't I don't know if Zach Moss and Devin Singletary can get the job done, which means that it's just one less thing that defenses um, don't have to worry about, and it makes the offense less dynamic. Yeah, that's clearly their biggest area that they could improve upon. Um, the rushing attack. I, I think if the rushing attack just improves slightly, it could open up a lot of stuff for them. Um, just because defenses last year, like you said, started to really disrespect the running game. I mean, you look at just their main their main opponents, their 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 key opponents last season. Like that that week six matchup against the Chiefs. That it was a great game. Chiefs came back to win that one. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I think, had an awesome. Uh, I think it was his best game of the season. Week six, the Chiefs they used. Uh, they were focusing to get on the pass, the passing game, because they used light boxes just 33% of the time throughout the year. But against the Bills that week, 81% of the plays on defense were um, light boxes. So they were looking for the pass. And then in the playoffs, Baltimore increased their usage of light boxes 67% to 60%. They, they used light boxes 67%. And uh, they were during the regular season, just 19% of the time where they're using light boxes. There's a, that's a big difference. You know, if Buffalo could increase their efficiency on rushes, um, against these light boxes that could definitely open up even further improvement for their passing attack because it would obviously force defenses to respect the possibility of an effective running play and that's going to be key um, to keep you know like you said that that Josh Allen regression at, off the table it's, if he's going to need to be put in more successful situations because last year was like it was a, a, a statistical anomaly that type of improvement and the type of um, just the, the massive leap he took forward in his development was historical and it's going to be very i mean while it's not far-fetched to say that that's the, the legit him that's that's him in and out but like there's it's a natural 
evaluation that you know last year might be a there might be some regression coming from from you know that performance he had last year but that yeah that rushing game is definitely the area that, that you could be looking at in terms of um, ways they could get better Josh Allen too is like as a running as a running uh, quarterback he actually had the the most six uh, the highest success across every position in running in rushes I think he had like a 62 percent success rate as a runner but he also fumbles the ball a lot i think he's got 31 fumbles over the last uh three years i think it was so you have to have a balance there because that's definitely not something you want your your franchise quarterback to be taking hits you don't want him to be fumbling the football um those are all things that obviously a no-go for buffalo if they want to have a success uh, successful season yeah josh allen he he a runner he a track star i mean i think he's going to be effective on the ground he's going to be the goal line back once again i think the, i think the the passing continues. I think he, he doesn't, I think he might regress a little bit, but I don't think it'll be too impactful. Um, but we haven't touched on the defense. What, what do you think about that side of the ball? The defense is solid. Um, they, the biggest question for them is their, their cornerback depth. They don't really have a whole lot outside of Tredavious white, who is one of the league's elite cornerbacks, but playing, um, you know, aside beside him, um, in the secondary is going to be, kind of uh, a hit or miss um, for them. They, they last year, they were also like pretty uh, fortunate in the health department. I think they were ninth. They had the ninth fewest adjusted games lost um, for the roster last year. Um, and, and the defense is, it, they have uh, a good pa- a pass and rush rushing tack. They have a good front seven. But like I said, the secondary is going to be the biggest question mark for them. They need to uh, improve in that area especially when you're facing some of those big AFC opponents like the Chiefs, the Browns, the, the Ravens. Um, although the Ravens are more of a running game team, but, you know, you get the point. Like, they need to um, be able to be a better passing defense than they were last year. Yeah, makes sense to me. I, I, I do like their defense still, but I think they're more middle of the pack than, than a top-end team. So it's going to rely heavily on Josh Allen's shoulders what what happens to this, this year. Definitely. The... Um... The main thing what I like about Buffalo too is aside from their their awesome quarterback uh, situation with Josh Allen is the coaching staff. The coaching staff just understands like like uh, Sean McDermott and Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator, really like looked at 2019 and made some excellent adjustments in 2020. Um, they increased their use their usage of pre-snap motion and, and play action two things that i really love that has been a consistent theme throughout our divisional previews is the offenses you notice that are the most successful in the nfl are the ones that use those types of schemes and then also they um they really figured out the fact that they were an incredibly effective offense with 10 personnel that means four wide receivers on the field that was a big part of their 2020 offensive scheme change. In 2019, they took only four snaps in 10 personnel. And then 2020, they used 10 personnel on 186 snaps. They also gained an average EPA of 0.19 EPA per attempt uh, on those 10 personnel plays, both through the air and on the ground. Those are pretty significant adjustments that they made in 2020. And Brian Dable is just had, he, 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 he probably should have been hired as a head coach during the offseason. Like there was like seven or eight open head coaching positions. It's kind of shocking that Dayball wasn't hired away from Buffalo. But you know he comes back as the OC again in 2021. I think he's gonna be he's he's the perfect pairing for for Allen. It's it's a perfect storm in Buffalo. They brought in Stefan Diggs, who was a target monster last year, and there wasn't a more symbiotic 
relationship in the NFL with Josh Allen and, and Stefan Diggs. You know, Allen just so happened to have his breakout season the same year that Stefan Diggs comes in, has a career year on, in his own. And it's really something that, that you could you could see continuing again this season. I think it's definitely a sure bet that Stefan Diggs, from a fantasy football perspective, finishes as a top five wide receiver again in, in fantasy football. He has, he has the potential to finish number one. And, you know, the, the addition of Emmanuel Sanders you touched on earlier as well. I really like Emmanuel Sanders. He's my, he's my second favorite receiver in this offense. I'm really not a Cole Beasley fan, um, especially in fantasy, just like that. The, his whole stance on the on the COVID vaccine situation, I think you have to consider that um, this year more than others, obviously, because of the significant punishment that guys, if they contract COVID, are going to get, especially ones that would, that don't have the vaccine. So... You know, Emmanuel, Sa- Emmanuel Sanders has the best quarterback that he's ever played with since, you know, Drew Brees, maybe Peyton Manning um, in Denver. And then um, who else did he have thrown? You know, Roethlisberger, in, in, when he first, you know, came up in the league, Roethlisberger was in his prime throwing to him in, in Pittsburgh. But Sanders, I think, is poised for a, a good uh, renaissance to his career. Uh, I really like that fit for him in Buffalo. Just a lot to be positive about for Buffalo this year. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm, they're one of the teams that I'm seriously considering as my Super Bowl pick if I had to, you know, besides the, the obvious favorites like Kansas City and Tampa Bay, I think Buffalo is my, I have them ranked third in my power rankings. They're, uh, you know, probably my, my sexy pick for the, the Super Bowl this year. I'm really a big fan of them. I like it. I like them as a sexy pick. <laughs> they have to be sexy though. That's the thing. Yeah, I, we only pick teams to go to the Super Bowl if we think they're sexy. <laughs> that's the, that's the key. They have to be. Um, Connor, over under win total is eleven. Are you going over or under for Buffalo? I'll take the over there. I feel pretty take good about that. They're a third best team, and you know the thirteen wins last year. It's the yeah. and the. I feel pretty confident about that. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll talk about some of the the potential regression factors here with Buffalo. Buffalo did go five and one in one score games last year. It's an 83% win rate in one score games. That's, that's a pretty tough number to repeat, but, uh, and they also finished two, 2.1 wins over the Pythagorean win expectation. The Pythagorean win expectation is something we talked about on a previous podcast. Um, kind of just bases the points scored versus points you've given up. Uh, it's a formula that has been derived to basically project how many wins your team should have throughout the year. And Buffalo had an expectation of 10.9 last season, um, and they had 13 on the year. So usually if you overachieve that win expectation, that kind of suggests that there might be some regression the next season. But with Buffalo, I think that if I had to take a guess, like there are a lot of underrated aspects of this team, just the whole co- I think the coaching staff, like I said, I can't emphasize that enough. I really love this coaching staff. I think they're one of the best in the league. I really like Josh Allen. I, I loved what I saw out of him. I think he's a uh, MVP candidate in his own right. Um, and I just, I, the, the combination of elite talent on this roster, they're one of the best coaching staffs in the foot in football. I think they're poised for another finish at the top of the AFC East, as well as, like I said, a Super Bowl contender. Yeah. And, um, you know, you mentioned the Pythagorean win expectation. That's uh, something that if you're not familiar with it, um, we, we quote a lot of uh, interesting statistical um, 
uh, information on our podcast, we have an almanac on the website. Ben, you did a great job publishing this over the weekend. Um, so, you know, if you are listening to something and we don't necessarily clarify it, just head to the website and there'll be a great not, extra, uh, explanation yeah. there for you. It's, it's not a comprehensive glossary, but it is a lot. It's a good bundle of stats that I like to use personally when I'm evaluating projections and um, making making anal- doing analysis for uh various purposes in football and I think yeah. it's just a good it's a good start starting point for anybody that's trying to get into some of the advanced stats for football um, yeah and i think it's it's something that we're going to continue to update throughout the season as as we come up with more statistics that we find very useful for our listeners and you know i think already we have it in the article section i'm probably going to move it over to the tools since it's more of a, a glossary uh dictionary and, and reference point so and exactly. since yeah i think so if you're looking for that we're going to move it over to the tools section right on all things analysis.com Cool. I'm a company man. <laughs> All right, finishing up with the uh, the Bills here. They they finished first in Football Outsiders weighted DVOA last year. They didn't lose any major contributors this season. The main risk is obviously whether or not Josh Allen that that one season breakout was that whether or not it was a new normal or if it was an aberration. But um, considering that you know Buffalo did add a lot of depth pieces this offseason they kind of just bolted bolted down the hatches on some of the holes that they had in their in their team last year they added Emmanuel Sanders they they brought in Matt Breida Jacob Hollister good veteran uh players in their positions respective positions and they added a good backup quarterback in Mitchell Trubisky he's not a good starting quarterback but he's one of the better backups in the league kind of has that that quarterback redundancy that you're looking for in a backup as well has a similar style to Josh Allen obviously he's not Josh Allen but it's similar style play um and that's kind of something what you what you want that's all you could ask for out of your backup and um if if you know like i said buffalo was ninth in fewest adjusted um just the games lost last year if they regress a little bit in their health department uh having some of those veteran backups is going to help them along the way so i, I like the the I, I really like the uh the lock here for over 11 games on their season yeah, some of those smart offseason moves, once again, that just points to the strength of the coaching staff once again. And, you know, they're taking everything into consideration, all Definitely. things into consideration. All things analysis here. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the next team up here in the AFC East, the Miami Dolphins. Last season, they were 10-6. and six. Their over-under win total coming to this season, 9.5. They are plus 350 to, to win the division. The big question mark here, Tua, Tua Tagovailoa, his last Spell it. <laughs> Tua is uh there you know, you he's, he, he's handed the reins here from Miami. He's put that hip injury well into the rearview mirror. He spent his offseason training and preparing rather than rehabbing. And Miami's offense now is going to be tailor made for him rather than Fitzpatrick. You know, heading into week one last year, he was Pat Fitzpatrick's offense. Now they had a whole offseason to, to prepare with Tua as a starting quarterback. This is the year that Tua needs to play better. Um, he, he needs to show people why he was the number two overall pick, why there was that whole tanking for Tua uh, campaign, you know, when he was at Alabama before that hip injury. And Miami's, you know, it, it, they're in a situation because that is it's kind of tough because they have a talented roster. They have, you know, one of the more talented rosters in the NFL. If Tua is not capable of leading them to a contention season if Tua can't lead them to a Super Bowl if they if they decide that after this year which is very possible we've already been talking we've already been hearing a lot of the Deshaun Watson trade rumors there they could possibly look to move on from Tua 
and I know that seems early. It seems like two and two is pretty young. You know, you don't really know exactly what you have from him yet. But this is a big year for him. Just a sophomore season, but there's a lot on the line here with Tua. Um, and last year, you know, to say the least, it, it wasn't a great performance. He didn't have a great rookie campaign. He he had a lot of hurdles thrown his way. A lot of things outside of his control were against him. But this is the year that we're going to need to see some some big steps forward in his development. What do you think we're going to get out of him this year? I do think we see a step up. I think they rapidly improved the wide receiver core and the fact that now he has some continuity, as you mentioned, the fact that he's been able to play the entire offseason with the team. He knows he's the starting quarterback going into the season. And, um, you know, COVID will be less of an impact, you know, the fact that he actually had a preseason this year. So I I think we do see a nice step up from one of the most talented uh, college quarterbacks that we've ever seen play. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with you. I think there's a potential for a good Tua season. Um, I just, from what I saw from him last year, and a lot of that stuff was just really poor circumstances for a young quarterback. I mean, but w- with what he was dealt, he didn't make the most out of it. He didn't make the most out of his opportunities last season. And I think this is, I, I have mixed feelings about this year. I'm not, I'm cautiously optimistic for him, yeah. um, but I'm not going to be putting my eggs into the Tua basket this year. I, I'm staying, um, I'm staying away from a lot of uh, heavy value in Miami Dolphins because of this. I'm not really optimistic about their season just because there's so many uncertainties with specifically Tua and across the offense. You know, Will Fuller with the suspension early on, missing the first game. You don't really know what you're going to get out of him. Whether or not those PED suspensions that the 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 PEDs were helping him with his performance um or maybe just staying healthy because last year was one of his healthiest seasons in his career yeah and they also have a lot of guys in this receiving core that are similarly talented but they don't have any clear alignment on how they're going to shake it out shake out the work the workload because they don't really have any alphas they have a lot of a lot of guys that are just kind of you know wide receiver twos in the fantasy world if they're all playing well like Jalen waddles probably has the highest upside but he's a rookie drafted six overall you know i really like Jalen waddle and I actually like him in fantasy this year but it's also just like will fuller is easily easily has the biggest track record for creating the most separation out of any of these wide receivers last year two of his receivers were terrible with creating separation he had some of the most difficult throws from any quarterback last season in terms of just yeah. tight windows and and receivers that were just doing a very poor job at creating open space for themselves to be um, fair though Devonte parker did have one of the highest contested catch rates too so even though he wasn't creating space he was going up and high pointing the ball and making tough catches yeah but yeah i like adding i like the fact that there should be a lot more open windows for Tua this year to throw into it a lot more a lot less difficult yeah. throws to the outside where he really struggled last year yeah, throwing to the area. outside definitely that's definitely an area that he needs to improve upon it and could this season i think the biggest thing for him though is Oh, offensive coordinator Chang Gailey is no longer there in Miami. Uh, he was somebody that you know the Dolphins brought out of retirement to reunite with Fitzpatrick last season. He worked with Fitzpatrick in Tampa Bay, uh, Chang Gailey. And like I said, the offense was built for Fitzpatrick in week one. And, and Tua was learning an offense that was not des- designed to his strengths um, when he came in to start week eight against the Rams. He actually had a, a reasonably you know conservative success, conservative success for his first three games. They won all three. You know, they, their defense was kind of feeling the way, uh, leading the way in a lot of those. But it, it wasn't, um, Tua was just, you know, not making a ton of mistakes. And then in week nine, or uh, in his fourth game, what was that, week 11 against Denver, 
uh, Tua was benched in the second half, and and co- head coach Brian Flores said after the game it was for performance reasons. But really, like when you look at the scheme that Miami had in that Denver game, it was peculiar, and and the offensive coordinator is probably the one to blame for that. Chan Gailey went from uh, he he was featuring a lot of twelve personnel for for Tua in his first three games, and then it, and a matchup that you know probably called for a lot of twelve personnel. He switches over to eleven personnel. And that means like, you know, 11 personnel is three wide receivers, 12 personnel is two tight ends, two wide receivers. Um, and then against Denver, a team that does well against 11 personnel and does a little bit worse against 12 personnel as a defense, they switch to the to the less effective scheme. And Vic Fangio's defenses, like I said, held rookie quarterbacks to 60% completion percentages throughout the season, throughout the last couple of seasons, 192 yards per game, six and a half yards per attempt. And a six touchdown, six five touchdown to interception ratio, two sacks a game, eighty one point two pass rating against rookie quarterbacks since twenty nineteen for those Denver defense. Tua actually had a fifty five percent completion percentage in that game. He had one touchdown, no interceptions. Not all that bad actually, um, in terms of how it could have gone. I mean, you look at just Tua's splits again uh, when working out of eleven personnel versus twelve personnel. Just the whole throughout his whole course of last year, eleven personnel he had a negative 0.7 EPA per attempt, and twelve personnel he had 0.25 EPA per attempt. So a big jump there. And offensive coordinator play caller Chan Gailey was not doing him any any favors in the way he was setting him up last season. And this year they bring in a new offensive coordinator. Um, I think it is. I can't remember. I can't remember. Oh. Um, they have two offensive coordinators, Eric Studsville and George Godsey, come into their first season name, with Miami. Dude. Studsville, right? I love that. Miami, they have a lot. They have a lot to work on in terms of offensive scheme. I, I like Brian Flores as the head coach, but um, he's more of a defensive mindset, more of a conservative mindset as a head coach, and so. Um, they'll ha- we'll have to see whether or not you know the offensive coordinators, the play callers, make adjustments for Miami this year because there was a lot of things that just went wrong for Tua last year because of the fact that he was just not put in, in successful situations for himself. Yeah, I would agree. And um, you know everything I'm hearing from training camp and the preseason is that he looks a lot more confident. He's kind of been that vocal leader that you would hope to see from your quarterback. And so hopefully he has some of that confidence back this year that it looked like he lacked last year. And I think part of that's recovering from one of the most serious injuries in the NFL player could have um, when you're talking about a broken or dislocated hip, uh, hopefully another year removed from that too. So I think we see, I think we see a decently effective Tua, but I think we'll know early on whether this team really trusts him or whether they, yeah. they're going to rely on that running game. And, you know, they, I, I Ryan Fitzpatrick was the better quarterback on the team last year. Yeah. You know? He easily, easily. And I think that's the root of the problem here with Tua though. The, the, the root question is whether or not they trust him, because if you trust your quarterback, that means like, as a modern team, the most modern successful teams nowadays, they do they have an offensive scheme where they they spread the they spread their their formations to run the ball and they condense them to pass. Mo, the best the most efficient offenses on on average like typically, they'll pass out of 12 personnel more effectively and then they'll run out of 11 personnel more effectively. And it kind of just gets back to you have to keep the defense, you have to keep the defense um you have Guessing to keep, on their have, on yeah, their on their, on their heels. Toes. Yeah. You have you have to keep them confused, and you have to disguise your formations. And so, if you, if your formation on offense looks like it's going to pass, and then you pass, that's predictable. That's easy to defend. If you if your formation is is set to pass, and then you run the ball, 
and you run it efficiently, that's when your offense becomes dangerous because then you have the threat of you know when when you're you when you're keeping defenses on their heels and and you're keeping those plays in the back of their mind. You know you, you line up at eleven personnel and then you run the ball for ten yards up the middle and then you line up with two tight end sets, heavy personnel. And you throw a deep ball down the sideline, like that's when your offense gets real tricky to defend. And when you're not, when the defense doesn't know what to expect, that's when it's really tough. And the the root of that is you have to trust trust your quarterback to run those types of plays. And whether or not they trust Tua to do that this year, that's going to be the big question. Um, they also yeah. like last well one last thing with this is, you know, the red zone. Efficiency last year was a big problem with them. Red mm-hmm. zone, and, and this gets back to this point here, um, where they just been, uh, they were a poor, they they were doing the opposite of what I'm talking about here. They in, in in the red zone splits really depict this. I mean, passes with three wide receiver sets, eleven personnel or more, they were negative in the red zone, negative .58 EPA per attempt. That's terrible passing the ball in, in three wide receiver sets. Thirty eight percent success rate. Those are 40, 42 throws in the red zone in that in that formation. And then passes in twelve personnel with two wide receiver or less sets. They had a zero point two three EPA per attempt and a forty nine percent success rate. But they they only did that 33, 33 times. So less attempts, but they were more effective at it. And then when they run the ball with three with three wide receivers or more, they had a positive EPA point one four EPA per attempt on forty four runs in the red zone and then when they had two wide receiver sets 12 personnel or more and they run the ball they had a negative 0.17 epa and they had 61 attempts so they're basically just in the red zones particularly they were they were running plays primarily to their weaker formations primarily to their weaker trends and that's that's clearly just like a lack of scouting a lack of coaching and, and that's things that you know that the new offensive coaches and the new uh, coordinators are going to need to make to keep an eye on and make adjustments accordingly. Yeah, for sure. Sense? It's a good observation. Yeah. Okay. Sounds like they need to have you as a consultant on the team, Ben. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm not. I'm no. I'm not a football genius. I take a lot of my research from from other people that I, I, I truly respect. Um, the main one I, I really respect is Warren Sharp, and he his he he publishes a book every preseason, and um, a lot of the stuff that I get at, uh, out of my analysis comes from him. But I pull from a lot of different a lot of different areas as well. Well, we'll right, see what we can do to get him on the staff next year. <laughs> War Trap is doing well on his own. All right, let's talk about pull, some pull him away from the ringer, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Let's talk about some fantasy football here. Um, are, is Tua a guy you're going to consider at all in fantasy, or is he just kind of uh, the the engine that's going to that's going to enable the rest of these guys around him to be fantasy relevant or not? I think he's quite slept on in fantasy and could be one of those post-hype sleepers. I, I really liked him as a back-end stash last year, knowing that you know his college performance, his draft pedigree. Um, you know, now they have that he has the talent around him. It definitely could be a high upside player, but at the same time, we know what the downside is and the fact that he got benched last year mid-season. He has a you know injury concern, so. I think it's a high variance type of player that that's worthy of a Ben stash, but also somebody that you should feel readily available to cut if you need uh, somebody else on your roster. Yeah. Well said. All right. The wide receiver core in this, in this Miami offense, Devontae Parker, Preston Williams were their number one receivers last year. They brought in Jalen Waddle from the draft and uh, Will Fuller from pre-agency. Fuller seems to be the guy at the highest highest ceiling probably here, considering just his above average abilities to get open in space. Last year, he averaged 3.0 average yards of separation, while um, the other receivers in this in this 
pass catching core from last year. I think the average a top the tops I think was Mike Gesicki. I think he was like averaging two point one yards of separation. All the all the receivers in in Miami's pass catching core last year were below average in, in space creation. And uh, Fuller's one of the one of the league or the better ones in the league at this. And uh, Jalen Waddle also is someone that I really like in his pass catching court. But how would you rank this group here? Fuller, Waddle, Parker, Preston Williams is probably falling off a lot of boards here. Are, are these guys coming off the injury? Yeah, I mean, I, I like Preston Williams, but I, he, I think he tore his Achilles or ACL last year, which is a tough break and always tough to come back from. And based on their offseason signings, it sounds like he's kind of going to be the fourth option there. Um, the highest upside is Jalen Waddle, in my opinion. Um, but also the biggest unknown at the same time. But we know that rookie wide receivers, um, you know, we have seen some potential breakouts in previous years. And and if the opportunity is there, the question is, where does he fall in that depth chart? You know, Devontae Parker has been the the wide receiver one on that team for a couple of years now and is a good uh, touchdown threat. Will Fuller is clearly going to be the deep guy. So how does he fit into this offense? Um, If there was one I wanted on my team, it would be Waddle. I agree. I, I've liked Waddle across the board of fantasy this year. I uh, I really loved his Alabama his last year in Alabama. He had that injury in the middle of the season, and he goes into the the national championship game with an injury. What, what was it? Is his foot or something? He had something injured. It, it might have, I can't remember what it was. And he knows that that's the game that like sc- NFL scouts are going to be watching him most. Like that's that's the biggest game of his life up to that point, and if he plays and plays poorly, that could severely hurt his draft stock. But he goes in there just because he's a gamer and he knows like he knows that he's trying to win a national championship for his team, and that's all like that's all that matters in his. He mindset. had a high ankle sprain with a with a small fracture as well. Yeah, I mean that's that's brutal to play with. He must have been like fifty percent at best, and mm-hmm. he goes out there and. He, I remember him looking, you know, at like he was okay when he was out there. He caught, you know, a few passes here and there. And, um, you know, some people might say it might have hurt his draft stock, but I think it helped it. And I think that's what Miami did as well. Like they really loved and respected that part, that part of, of Waddle. I think that was the main reason that I heard that they were, we were heavily going after him. And I, I really liked that. Guy's a gamer. Yeah. One one value guy here for uh, for Miami that I wanted to just toss out there as a possibility as a long shot is literally a long shot. Hunter Long, the the, the tight end out of Boston College. He was a third round pick in the last draft. He uh, could be highly underrated here for Miami as a t- at the tight end position. In 2020 at Boston College, he led all collegiate tight ends with 88 88 targets on the year. He also accounted for 23.6% of Boston College's receptions, 21.9% of the receiving yardage, and 2.17% of their touchdowns, all top marks amongst 2021 class of tight ends. He was one of the best tight ends out of the draft, just didn't go to one of the, the most uh, prestigious football colleges. But someone that could could work on a great it. value, you know. So the, Matt uh, Ryan, AJ Dillon, there's some decent uh, BC history. Yeah, I liked I liked Hunter Long at BC. He was looking good. So I think he could be someone that that uh, to keep an eye on for fantasy. If he has a, um, you know, it takes a while usually for a rookie tight end to kind of hit their stride. Maybe someone more down the road in terms of uh, become fa- becoming fa- fantasy relevant. But I thought that was a good draft pick from Miami. Yeah, it's an interesting use of a draft pick because Mike Gesicki is there, but talking about like two tight end sets and everything. I've never been a big Mike Gesicki guy. 
I, I don't know. I just I, I think he's so mean uh, meat and potatoes. Like he's nothing. He's nothing uh, spicy. He's just kind of bland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a solid tight end. It's about it. You know, tight end ten to fifteen. He has good athleticism, but nothing game breaking. Any thoughts on Miles Gaskin? Anything spicy about him? Just kind of. I think he, he could potentially be um, an extremely underrated player heading into the season. I think he is the most elite running back on that team. But also, there's you know there were some rumors that he was going to be splitting time more. He's not extremely efficient around the goal line, but he is a fantastic pass and, catcher. He's extremely shifty, and and he's great um, yards after the catch. And, uh, I love seeing him in the open field, but. I mean, Malcolm Brown's. You talk about meat and potatoes. That's what Malcolm Brown is. So, <laughs> yeah, he he. Malcolm Brown. The one thing that he does that might hurt Gaskin is the goal line carries. Like yeah. I said, Gaskin was not efficient at the goal line last year. Malcolm Brown has been pretty efficient. Not eight of his fifteen carries inside the five yard line over the last two seasons went for touchdowns. It's a pretty good rate. Um, so he might be the goal line guy to punch in. It might vulture a few touchdowns from Gaskin. But I like your point about him. I think he's he's a very explosive running back who could be a good value for fantasy. What's interesting about Gaskin too is like they they didn't go and make a big draft day splash at running back. They didn't make a big draft day splash or not draft day uh, off season signing and free agency. You know they brought in Malcolm Brown, who's not highly regarded as an extremely skilled running back, and so. You know, clearly there's still some confidence that Gaskin can get the job done as the lead back. Yeah, understood. All right, the over-under pick here, nine and a half wins. Over-under. I, I lean over on this one as well. I, I, it's going to be a tough division. I, I think every single team improved in in that division. So I'd still lean the over, though. Yeah, I feel you there. I, I, there is some room for optimism. I think Miami was one of those teams that kind of overperformed to expectation last season. Um, but I'm going in the under. I'm 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 a little pessimistic about Tua's chances for a big a big step up forward in his development. Well, you know I think there's definitely some room for improvement, and I think he will improve this year. I I just think it's a safer bet to believe that it's going to be difficult for Tua to have you know that an above average NFL season. And if if you don't have an above average quarterback, the rest of your team has to be excellent. And that's not necessarily the case for Miami. You know, they're they're good across the board, but they don't have anything crazy special and elite. And I think, in, like you said, this division is going to be tougher this year with improvements from, like, very likely improvements from New England and New York. Yeah. Uh, those those four games they had last year are not going to be cakewalks this season. And It's uh, a stay away over under win total. It is, for sure. And, and you know, just from a, from a perspective of team success, they don't have Ryan Fitzpatrick this year to be Tua's bailout because Tua ranked last year. He was 30th in the NFL in yards per attempt. Pat Fitzpatrick was eighth. There was no question Fitzpatrick was the more successful QB last year. And there's definitely some, some you know, indication of regression. They won 10 games last year. They benefit from a good amount of luck in that season. Last season, last year, they, they forced the most turnovers. They had the most turnovers in the NFL they forced. They recovered the most opponent fumbles at the third highest rate. Sorry. They recovered opponent fumbles at the third highest rate, and they forced the lowest third down conversion rate over expected. Um, over the conversion over expected rate. I read those stats horribly, <laughs> but you get the point. Like there's just like a lot of things that necessarily are pretty good candidates for regression. And the turnover luck that they had last year was just pretty excellent. 
They they masked the fact the turnovers masked the fact that they were 24th in yards per play allowed on defense. So we all thought last year their defense was you know well above average, but they were only 24th in yards per play allowed. But that they also gained the most EPA from those turnovers on defense last year. So with the Jets and Patriots poised for some improvement, this division being tough, Buffalo I think is one of the best teams in the NFL. It's definitely going to take like the biggest X factor is that two zero performance. It's definitely going to take an above average season from him. And based on what we saw last year, it. it you're betting on something that you haven't seen yet. So right. I, I just, um, it, I, instead of guessing, I'm going to base it on what I've seen from Tua, what I've seen from Miami. I'm going to go the under. Yeah. If there was a team in this division, that's most likely to regress. It would definitely be the dolphins. But I also think that line is very accurate in terms of where I For expect sure. them to finish. We, I think we have them right around team 14 in our power rankings. So nine and seven, or it would be ten and seven this year, um, or you know nine and nine and eight is very much within the realm of where I think they finish, being just a slightly above league average team. For sure. All right, the next team up in this division, the the New England Patriots. Been waiting a while to talk about this team. They were seven and nine last year. They're over to win total the same as Miami's nine and a half. They are plus three sixty to win the division. They come into the season with a new quarterback. The, the, the third, third new quarterback in the last three seasons, this one a, a rookie out of Alabama, the back, the one and only Mac Jones. And when you discuss, you know, the biggest areas of potential make or break variation for the Patriots this year, you got to start with the quarterback position. All indications seem to suggest the 23-year-old quarterback out of Alabama has probably set up for, for a success in his rookie season. But there's always that big question mark bringing in a rookie quarterback when this is the first time that bill belichick in his tenure 20 year plus tenure with new england this is his 21st season he's never ever had a rookie quarterback start in week one for his team obviously a lot of those seasons were with with the veteran tom brady he brought in tom i think tom came in in week three when the when drew bledsoe got hurt that 2020 um 2001 year and, uh, you know, Mac Jones has just checked all the boxes right away in preseason. He's embracing the Patriot way by doing his job, quote unquote, you know, and he's really respectful of the Brady situation. He understands that he's going to be compared to him constantly, not only because, you know, he's in New England, but the fact that he's, you know, a tall white quarterback pocket passer, someone who's, you know, New England's going to try to probably mimic some of the things they did with Brady now with Mac Jones, a completely different style from Cam Newton. Cam Newton was definitely not the answer at quarterback, more of a stopgap for them. I think the Patriots might have found their guy. How are you feeling about Mac Jones coming to the year, uh, Connor? I, I, I like his uh, I like his upside this year on the Patriots, but I'm still not completely sold by the pass catchers they brought in. You know, certainly not an elite core. Um, it's a, and once again, it's a rookie quarterback in an extremely difficult system to comprehend. The Bill Belichick system takes a lot of time to understand, so much so that team like Cam Newton was still learning the system this offseason before he got cut. Uh, so I think he might get off to a bit of a slow start, and same thing with the Patriots. Um, but by, by the back half of the season, I think he could certainly be poised to be the type of player who could win uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year. 
Yeah, I could see that happening. And, and you know what I really liked about this decision to go to commit fully to Mac Jones was the fact that they were just two completely different style quarterbacks. And you look at, you know, similarly, we just finished talking about the Miami Dolphins. Last year, they started their year with Fitzpatrick. And they wanted they clearly had a, a, an eye on starting to a week eight after their bye. And they had a, they had to scheme up a completely different style of offense with with Tua. And it took a long time for him to settle in uh, at Miami. And he, he really never did last year. Right. Instead of, you know, trying to play coy with the fact that this guy's their future at quarterback, they, they went with it right away. And they, they spent, they, 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 they are committing to a offense built around Mac Jones starting week one. If you had Cam Newton as your starting quarterback in week one, that means you're going to implement a lot of run-heavy schemes, heavy personnel. Cam's going to be running the ball at the second, last year he was the second highest rate the Patriots were the second highest rate of first down runs across the league, Baltimore being the first. And that's just a completely style, completely different style of play that they want to implement in Patriot in, in the Patriots offense. And now with Mac Jones, you know, he's he's by no means Tom Brady, but he's someone that is going to be a pocket passer who's going to be able to implement a lot of those similar schemes that they use with Brady. And while like you said, I'm not I'm not hot that that high on guys like Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, the ones they brought in, the the free agent receivers that they brought in. I am very optimistic and encouraged by the fact that they brought in two excellent pass catching tight ends, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. I think that was the key to unlocking their offense this offseason that they the, the the moves they made because Bill Belichick was a pioneer at the idea that the tight end was a pass catching position. In 1991, 91, this is the running back era, the running era of the NFL. You know, back then there was much, much less passing in the NFL. Back in 1991, Bill Belichick wrote this tight end number one has to be a pass catcher. The Aussie knew some Keith Jackson types. Don't need to, uh, don't need the offensive line type guy in a tight end's jersey. Take what we could get from him from blocking. Just get in the way and tie up. We can work around his blocking ability. Priority is catch, run, block at the tight end position. That's Belichick in 1991. That's 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 understanding that before the league catches on, we are going to be using our tight end in a in a more e, positive EV expected value situation. And you look at the last time that the Patriots had two above average league above average pass catching tight ends. It was when they had Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. And by no means am I comparing Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry to those two elite talents. They drafted both Hernandez and Gronk in 2010. Um, but, you know, this is it, it's 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 similar to this style. You know, the last time they had these two guys, the Patriots, they, the offense exploded in the second year that they had those two. You look at when they brought in Gronk and Hernandez. Last year, the, the tight ends for the Patriots in 2019 had just 33 receptions overall throughout the season. And you look at the three years they had Hernandez and Gronk working side, side by side. Hernandez had 45 catches in 2010, Gronk 42. In 2011, Hernandez had 79 receptions, Gronk had 90. That was the year Gronk had 17 touchdowns. Hernandez had seven that year. That was an excellent offensive season from both of them. 2012, yeah. that was the last year that they had the two of them. Hernandez had 51 catches, Gronk 55. 
clearly last year was not the, the kind of offense that they wanted to run. They had to make with the most of what they had. And now they finally have an offense that they put together. They clearly had their, their two targets at the tight end position in free agency. They went out and got them. They paid a pretty, a pretty penny for them. But now they finally have the quarterback and the, and the touch and the tight ends that they're familiar with that they could run their scheme that they want to run. And we've already got, we already have two decades worth of evidence that th- that, that style of offense works in the NFL. So, it's going to be a, a matter of execution at this point because they have the personnel to do it now. Yeah. I mean, and the, if you think that the tight ends can usurp the lack of talent at the wide receiver position, uh, we, we vary pretty heavily on the Patriots outcome. And I'm not sure if it's because I'm a Giants fan and you're a Pats fan, but you have them 12th overall in your rankings. I have them 21st. So we do view this a little bit differently and how we see the success of the Patriots this year. No, I think that the main hurdle for them to get over this season is the the expedited development of Mac Jones's uh, you know career. By no means is it ideal to start a rookie quarterback week week one and. If anybody knows this, it's Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick's defenses have feasted, absolutely feasted on opposing rookie quarterbacks in his tenure. Bill Belichick, I think against the spread, the Patriots have covered something like 70 or 80% of the time against rookie quarterbacks. And they're, when they're facing rookie quarterbacks, they cover the spread, I think, that, that high of an amount. So Bill Belichick understands how difficult it is to win with the rookie quarterback. But I think that also kind of speaks to the fact that... He, it, it, it speaks to Mac Jones's abilities and the way and the amount that he's trusting him this early on. I think, I, I, look, he would not have went with Jones this early if he didn't trust him. If he didn't think he's gonna be, he's gonna succeed. Bill Belichick understands how football works. He knows what it takes to develop into an excellent quarterback. He, I, I trust him. I trust him. And, and while the evidence shows the difficulties rookie quarterbacks have, while Alabama quarterbacks haven't had a whole, whole lot of success in the NFL, there's all those indicating all those uh, troubling factors with that with that equation. The, the only the only reason why I'm optimistic about it is the fact that Belichick trusts him. Because if anybody understood how how difficult it is to win in this league with the rookie quarterback, it's Belichick. He understands that you, it, how difficult that is. It doesn't happen often. But clearly, he sees he's seen something in Mac Jones, and and what and was willing to commit to him full, fully before the season even started, and that was a big vote of confidence for me. I wonder if it was a vote of confidence in Mac Jones or a lack of confidence in Cam Newton to be successful this year. Look, Cam Newton was someone that I, I think was going to allow them to win at least seven games again. I mean, he saw it last year. I, I think what it was is Cam wasn't going in the direction that they wanted to to go in. I, I've already talked about that, that clearly Cam wasn't able to implement or succeed in the type of scheme that they want to run on offense. And I, I, um, I, I just think that, you know, Cam Newton, while he probably had a high floor, low ceiling type of evaluation, I think... He, Bill Belichick understood that for this team to su- succeed, make the playoffs, and and contend again very soon, they're going to need Mac Jones at behind center, and that's the that's that's their that their chips are all in at that point. You know, you got you got to go with what's going to get you back into contention, and Cam Newton just doesn't have that ceiling anymore. Yeah, makes sense. But I feel you, and I, I, I can understand why there would be some hesitation to, to dive in fully and be confident with this team, but 
the fact of the matter is too like they were the second most they 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 by according to football outsiders adjusted games lost last year they had the second most um injured team and that includes also obviously covid dropouts last year they had marcus cannon matt lacoste dante hightower and patrick chung all projected starters all opted out before the season even started last year Dante Hightower is coming back this year. He's an excellent defensive player. They also brought back Kyle Vinoy, who was in Miami last year. He's going to spearhead their defense be one of the captains. Uh, Matt Judon is excellent, excellent pass rusher out of Baltimore, an edge rusher out of Baltimore. Devon Godshow, he's very good as well. They also drafted Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle in the second round. They have uh, an excellent, excellent defense. And I think that's going to be their bread and butter this year. The big question on the defense is definitely Stefan Gilmore's health. He's starting the season on IR. They're going to need him down the stretch to succeed. And whether or not he's able to come back as soon as possible off the IR, that's uh, going to be a big X factor for them. That's the, that's really my biggest concern for them. Um, and also, you know, the NFL, they, they did the Patriots no favors with the scheduling situation they gave them. They have the worst net dif- net rest differential in the NFL this season, negative 15 games. Uh, 15 days from opponents and they also um they also three of their opponents will be coming off of bye weeks that's the most in the nfl so that's not good either from a scaling perspective so it's not gonna be easy for the patriots tough division um you know they have stefan gilmer their best defensive players out for a while um first six weeks at least starting the eye on the ir but i just think that other than that it's it's there's a lot to be optimistic about for this patriots team yeah, I'm, I'm, it's fair. I mean, I think they have a wide range of outcomes with the amount of turnover year over year. So, yeah. All right. From a fantasy perspective, anything to note here? Damian Harris, the tight ends, quarterback. Uh, anything that you want to talk about here with with the fantasy? I think initially the the only fantasy relevant player will be Damian Harris, and that became more cemented when they let Sony Michelle go. Um, you know, extremely effective last year. Not much of a pass catcher, but should uh, should push for double digit touchdowns on the ground. Agreed. I like Damian Harris. Um, he should be a, a pretty valuable RB two, I think, in most fantasy situations. I think the fact that you know no more Cam Newton also is going to help his goal line carries. He'll probably be more effective in the red zone. The fact that they don't have a running quarterback anymore. Um, I also think the tight end situation is one to keep an eye on. Um, they kind of it's kind of a, a good thing for real football, but it's tough at fantasy. Then you know they're going to kind of cut into each other's value. But we already saw with Gronk and Hernandez, both were valuable tight ends at their positions when they both were when they were in there in new england so keep an eye on that could be another type of type of situation like that especially if the tight if the touchdowns are there if the offense is moving um you know not one season was there hernandez had five touchdowns in 2012 that was the lowest mark of either either guy um in those three years they were together so the tight ends could both be relevant if one goes down misses any time probably vaults them into a top eight type of situation for a tight end um, so I would definitely keep an eye on those two guys. I like them both. Yeah, I think John is is more of like the that was clearly the guy targeted too. Freakishly athletic, and so I think he is the higher upside of the two. I think Hunter Henry's more injury prone as well, so a little bit more downside with him. Yeah, the wide receiver position. You know, Nelson Aguilar is someone who's going to probably be a boomer bust type of wide receiver four, maybe. Someone who with with Mac Jones that's throwing him the football that's definitely more encouraging than Cam Newton because Cam's arm was just clearly deteriorating deteriorating over the last few years, 
Aguilar with with a young quarterback capable of throwing those deep balls to him should be poised for you know a decent season again like he was last year but I think the the guy to target as a wide receiver value is going to be Jacoby Myers he's probably poised to lead the team in receptions this year he was excellent in it to close out the year last season and uh I think he's someone that you know could be a a last uh you know receiver stash him on your bench keep keep an eye on him on the waiver wire those types of things I think he's probably someone that especially in PPR formats could be of a value yeah, and that's a, it's a good name to keep on a watch list and stash. Okay, the over-under win total, nine and a half. Going over or under? Under. All right, buddy. We're going to disagree on this one. I'm going over on the New England Patriots. I was under on Miami, over on New England. The last the last season, the Patriots ranked second. Uh, last year, Patriots ranked second in football outsiders adjusted games lost. That's obviously uh, going to improve this year in all likelihood they're probably going to be regressing to the, to the mean in that in terms of injury luck and they have no more opt-outs for covid reasons this season that's going to help they have a revitalized commitment to winning through the offseason off spending was definitely an indication of that adding guys like aguilar kendrick Bourne at the wide receiver position hunter henry and johnny smith at tight end their defense again high tower back they got all those guys i mentioned as well considering all that factored against them last season seven wounds was a pretty impressive outcome and last season was just the third time since Belichick took over in New England in 2000 that they failed to reach 10 wins. The the only other seasons they finished under um, 10 wins on the year with Belichick as the head coach. The year 2000, his first season, 2002, was Brady's second season and, 20, and 2020 last year. So Belichick's not familiar with losing. He always gets that ten that that to that 10 win mark, and I think we're going to see it again and again uh, this year. He may not be familiar with losing, but he should get used to it for this upcoming season. All right, you Grinch. All right, New York Jets, last year they were 2-14 and 14 coming to the season. They are over-under win total is 6. They're over-under win total is 6. They are plus 1,800 to win this division. The odds on outlier from this uh, division set to finish last again. But they got their guy in the draft. They, what they think is their guy, Zach Wilson. Really, it's just like... It, it, can it get any worse than last year? And it's like no. last year, it felt like rock bottom. You know, last year, the Jets' leading scorer was their kicker, Sam Ficken, and he played in nine games. He didn't you play. You're thinking, kidding me. And their third leading, leading scorer last year was the backup kicker, kicker, Sergio Castillo. He played in six games. So there was this. They finished 32nd in total DVA last year, dead last. The whole season, they seem poised to finish with the worst record in football and draft Trevor Lawrence. They couldn't even do that right. They won enough games just barely to get the second pick instead. They draft Zach Wilson, and now New York you know, selected a quarterback higher than third. Darnold was the third pick overall in 2018. Last time they drafted a guy this high was Joe Namath in 1965 when they drafted him first overall. Um, you know, the play calling was horrendous last season. Adam Gase is, is uh, now the... Adam Case, the head coach for the Jets last year, is now the offensive coordinator for his local high school team. Not, not in college, not in the NFL. He's coaching high school. He's not even a head coach. He's an offensive coordinator. Coaching now, it, it, it's a you know a new regime. Matt Sal, uh, Matt Sal, or what's his name? Sal, Robert. Ro- Robert Sal. I can't. Why, why did I forget his first name? Um, you know he, he's going to bring in a new, fresh set of eyes. Last year. Definitely lacking that. Not creative or supportive last season. The offense finished over thir- – they finished – they scored 13 points or more in just 11 games last year. That was the worst mark in the NFL. Uh, 
Darnold was set up for failure last year and and throughout his tenure in New York. He was the only quarterback with a negative EPA last season with a clean pocket. And the the defense this season heading to the new year, they added some quality pass rushers. And the big question mark for their defense is going to be the secondary. But you know, the, the on the in the front center seven on the defense for New York, they added Sheldon Rankins and Carl Lawson free agency. And we'll have to see if Salah is able to implement some defensive, some fresh defensive schemes for them. And I think that's what's going to be their identity to fuel their success if they are to have any this year. Salah coming from that conservative defensive first mindset coming from San Francisco. I think that's what's going to be their bread and butter this year. But aside from the fact that, you know, Zach Wilson's hopefully for the, for their sake going to be an explosive rookie quarterback. Any thoughts on the Jets? I think it could be frisky. I think they're, there's been a lot of change year over year for this team and a lot of moves they made that I liked. Um, adding Corey Davis, I think he's an extremely talented wide receiver, right around 1,000 yards last year in a run for his team behind A.J. Brown. So I think he could he could make an excellent wide receiver one option. Still like Denzel Mims. Uh, and then, you know, they added Michael Carter in the draft, obviously Zach Wilson in the draft. Um, you know, and Zach Wilson looked great in the preseason. I mean, the guy's got an absolute cannon for an arm. He did. Even though he looks like a Disney uh, pop star. He looks so young, too. <laughs> he does. He's a good-looking good fella. He's so young. I, I And, you know, the head coaching change, I think, could be the biggest positive with just some addition by subtraction, getting Adam Gase out of there, uh, you know. <laughs> As you mentioned, they're currently a high school coach. That's incredible. Um yeah, I, I like this team. I thought they were an underrated defense. So while I have them ranked near the bottom of the league in terms of my power rankings, I think I might end up moving them up a couple spots. And with the amount of uncertainty, I still kind of lean on the under here, but I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they ended up around 500 or even a little bit better. Yeah, I just think it's going to be a tough year for them. And while I expect some improvement for a lot of different reasons, it's tough to see how this team gets to over six wins. Um, you look at this first game, they're facing off against the Car- the Carolina Panthers, and-, and that's probably the only winnable game they have until they face the Bengals in on Hall- Halloween, October 31st. That's going to be week um, seven. So week six. So... I mean, this is if if they they could very well go into week six, zero and five against the Bengals, zero and six. Sorry, oh, this is week seven. Sorry, I'm trying to track their schedule here. Um, they have a really tough schedule, and you look at when you actually go team by team, it's really tough to map out where the wins are. And they're really they're only favored in one of their games. Um, they're only favored in four games. Sorry, all and all those are home except for the one on the road in Houston. And they really just don't have a lot of winnable games under schedule. They have the, the only games that you, you look at and you're like, oh, they're probably wins. The Bengals, the Texans, the Eagles might be. And then Jaguars, maybe. That's late in the year. Weeks, uh, week 16. No, week uh, 15. So, I mean, you, I'll, let, me, let me roll through some of these opponents. The Panthers, you think they win this one this week? It's, it's a very, awesome. I mean, it's a very winnable game. Okay. And then they face the Patriots. That's a loss. Broncos. That's probably a loss. Titans. That's probably a loss. The the Broncos could be a lower upside team with Teddy Bridgewater, but no, they probably still lose. But I think it's 
also still winnable. That's on the road as well. Falcons, probably a loss. Falcons are frisky this year. Patriots again. Bengals is a possible. I, I think they, they might beat the Falcons. Falcons are pretty frisky, especially that offense. The then they face the the Patriots again. Bengals. Bengals is probably the first game that you probably that's the first game they're favored in on the season. Then they face the Colts, the Bills, Dolphins, all losses. Texans maybe. Texas might be the worst team in the league this year. Then they face the Eagles, maybe, depending on how their quarterback situation plays out. The Saints, probably a loss. Dolphins, loss. Jaguars, maybe. Trevor Lawrence is going to be frisky this year. Tampa Bay, week 16, loss. Bills, week 17, loss. Like, we're talking about, they need seven wins. That Did mm-hmm. you hear seven seven wins in that schedule I just read you? I didn't. I Yeah, I mean, if you it, the only games that I think are winnable, realistically, the question and not, games, not the favorites, not yeah. I'm saying, so let's say they take the Panthers, they take the Broncos, they take the Falcons, they take the Bengals, uh, they take the Texans, that's five, they take the Eagles, that's six. Let's say Jameis somehow screws it up and Talk throws four picks. Talk about a lot of what's possible. You that's know. the Saints, that's, that's seven. And it's then we're tough. talking about the Jaguars, that's eight. So realistically, I think there are eight winnable games, which is still already less than half their schedule. And do you think they win all of them? Very unlikely. Nah. So, I mean, if you even just give them three quarters of their winnable games, they're already below their win-loss total. Yeah. And, and, and look, there's a lot of room for optimism here for the Jets. Zach Wilson, like you said, looked excellent in the preseason. Someone who who looks like he's poised. You know, Tony Romo was comparing him to Pat Mahomes, and that's that's high praise from a quarterback, Hall of Fame court, Hall of Fame caliber quarterback like Tony Romo. Someone who clearly understands how to evaluate talent, as just you, the way you hear him talk in the booth as a oh, broadcaster. My favorite broadcaster oh, by far. He's just a yeah. magician in the booth. So that's pretty high praise coming from him, and. The the future is finally looking a little bit brighter for New York, but I don't think this is going to be their year. They ha- they also have Warren Sharp ranks the Jets' backfield, the running back situation, as the worst in the league this preseason. Their upside is definitely going to be limited considering how likely it seems the offense will be playing from behind more often than not from a fantasy perspective. The running back situation probably is, is capped from that for that reason. And the offensive line projects to be the 24th best in the league in the pre- um, this preseason, according to Warren Sharp. So... It's really tough to see how they're going to move the ball consistently without an effective running game. And you're relying heavily on a rookie quarterback who, you know, he could be the best rookie quarterback in the world. And he's still going to, that's a lot of weight to carry on your shoulders, especially from a team that finished two and 14 last year. That's tough. Yeah, it's fair. All right. Anything from a fantasy note here? Zach Wilson is a flyer, maybe, you know, yeah. wide receiver situation. What do you think? I like Corey Davis. I think he's a solid wide receiver three slash flex option. Yeah. He's been widely discussed in the preseason as a good value at the wide receiver position. Some people are considering him like the best value in fantasy. Highly targeted in the preseason. He was. Elijah Moore, um, you know, upside rookie. Jamison Crowder is out with COVID, but, you know, somebody who uh, looked really good last year. But I think clearly the – the guy with the best track record and possibly the most talent is Corey Davis. And, and he, he just has that the rapport already with Zach Wilson, and that's very evident. Agreed. All right, over on the win total, six. Under. I'm going under as well. 
Yeah, it, it's like I said, it's really tough to map out seven wins on that schedule. Uh, Robert Sala has a, you know, heading to his is a first year head coach. He was an excellent, excellent defensive coordinator over the past four years with under Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco. He was also a defensive quality coach under Pete Carroll from uh, I'm in Seattle from 2011 to 2013. He was part of that 2013 championship they won in Seattle. He was a you know a coach facilitating the Legion of Boom, one of the most excellent defensive units of all time. Um, all he has, it comes in with an excellent resume, someone who is capable of turning this team around, but you know, with how bad this roster was with how poor they, how low they reached last year, it's, it's a, it's a large improvement that you got to reach to get to over seven, over six wins. Um, and if it was five and a half, you know, I would definitely something I I would consider more, but the fact that they got to get to seven, it's really tough. It's really tough. You know, if we're talking about a, a, a five win upgrade, coming off of last year and they really just you know they added a lot but they, they haven't had enough for five more wins i don't think so yeah i i agree yeah and just it, i don't know i want i wanted to pick them on the over i just couldn't get there i could not they were the fourth most injured team last year a lot of things just kind of went wrong they their defense had the second worst injury luck as well they added some good defensive pass rushers. They ranked dead last in red zone touchdown percentage last year, 30th and third down conversions, all things that should probably improve this season. There's just too much space between two wins to seven wins. There's just too much in in, in, the, in that range that they – it's just too big of a jump, and they're not ready for that yet. Yeah, the only way that you really see that huge jump is if Zach Wilson truly is the next – great NFL quarterback and you know they're able to steal a game from the Dolphins and Patriots yeah that's probably the only way they get there they got they got to get some and the uh some of the AFC games you're probably right the AFC East games they probably got to win some all right Connor who are you picking to win this division the AFC East Bills Miami but Bills Dolphins Patriots Jets the Jets no <laughs> the Bills the Bills pretty easily yeah pretty, pretty handily locked pretty locked in there um the bills like i said they're kind of my super bowl pick and while it's not sexy to pick the chiefs and the bucks i'd probably pick the bucks to repeat again if i had you know gun to my head bet in the house like i'd probably pick the bucks to win again just because of the continuity but the bills are i think my sexy pick the team that you know the team that you know probably getting they're not an uncommon selection this preseason but i i just really like their upside and i love that coaching staff they have in buffalo they also have one of the best home field advantages. That Bills Mafia is going to go crazy. Plus, playing up in Buffalo is really difficult, especially in the middle of the winter. Yeah, definitely. All right, Connor, that's going to do it for our AFC East preview. Really, Connor, that's that's the wrap on the divisional previews. I felt like we were doing Damn. this for, for ages, and we uh, we spent a lot of time on on just doing the legwork for all this analysis and and really just felt more prepared than ever we continue to say that more prepared than ever heading into this year and it truly feels that way um, yeah so you did a great job on the show notes and you know the the divisional previews are going to be fantastic on the website nfc already up afc will be up tonight uh so you know if you're doing some light reading before the games and maybe some heavy reading because there's a lot of stats which we love you know we, we back up our takes with stats um so check them out ben ben did amazing work on these podcasts on these previews Thank you, brother. All right, Good man. Shout any, out. <laughs> any, uh, any last words for ATA? Anything uh, you want to send out for the podcast before we get into our picks against the spread for the next pod? 
Yeah. I mean, I would say check out the website right now. You know, like I said, you're, you're pumping out the content, you're a content hound. You got your best bets up already for the week. And uh, we're going to have the DFS lineups posted as well, like we did last year. So, you know, keep an eye out for the content we have coming and, you know, feel free to ask us if you have any roster questions, last minute stuff as you prepare for week one. Definitely. Our stuff is free, people. We're free. And we're helping you win your fantasy leagues and your gambling bets. We have a lot of great information at our disposal. We're happy to help. All right, Connor. That's going to do it here for episode 79 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. The the, re, the, the cap on the the wine of our divisional previews. We're, we, we finished off the bottle and we're ready for the season. I can't wait, buddy. I, I low-key, I feel like just grabbing a beer and popping it open to celebrate, man. This is, this is a hell of a haul. Exactly. We're, ready, we're, we're so ready for the season. I'm amped. Can't wait, buddy. I can't wait to get into our weekly pods for the picks. And um, it's just been a blast getting, going over all this stuff with you. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right. Please for, don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day, are you vicious? Yeah.